Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after... Well, uh, I don't know how to take that one. Uh, I know there was a lot made on the broadcast and after the broadcast on um, certain uh, sports shows about the Jets being a tired team, a team at the end of a uh, a team at the end of a long road trip. Uh, and do I have time for that? Yeah, I've got time for that. Uh, the, the Jets looked to me like a team that was at the end of a long trip, that was tired, that was maybe looking a little bit forward to the plane ride. Um, so if, if there's, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that like to have the excuse machine cranking stuff out when games happen, Rennie can get behind that. I can get behind the idea that the Winnipeg Jets didn't have their best tonight. And there's a reason for it. And that reason is, well, maybe ending a road trip in Nashville is similar to ending a road trip in Vegas or Florida, Miami, or something like that. Not necessarily the best place to do that. Um, you know, you could you could pile up the excuses, uh, and, and I'm I'm down with that. It's a long season. Uh, I think another excuse, if you want to add one to the excuse machine, is the fact that we're kind of getting into that winter grind that players talk about. I mean, I think this is the time of year that you'll notice, like veterans will, will will you know probably produce more than rookies will because the rookies start getting a little gassed at this point here hard to find motivation in the middle of the winter not a lot of sunlight all that kind of stuff i'll give i'll give you all of the excuses one of the reasons i'll give you that is if you take a look around the rest of the division the rest of the conference and a lot of cases the rest of the league i mean the jets have been playing take it no you take it no you take it with first place in the central division for a long time now and you saw the uh, um you saw the Dallas Stars lose a game in overtime to the Buffalo Sabres, a team that the Jets beat not that long ago, a team that's out of the playoffs, although making a strong push for the playoffs. Uh, credit to that team. You're seeing uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that's kind of in free fall right now. Um, so, yeah, I'll take a look around. I'll take a look at the, a lot of the top teams in the league seem to be going through the winter doldrums right now and trying to find a way to get out of it. If you're comparing the Jets, to the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars have been in their doldrums quite a bit longer because, as we all know, they were up on the Jets by a significant margin. The Jets closed that margin. Once they close it, though, now they haven't been able to kind of pass them and pull away. Um, the problem with all that is a lot of the teams that people expected were going to be some of the better teams this year, and I'll list off three right off the bat, the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, and, of course, the Colorado Avalanche. Those teams have woke up. Uh, they're coming now. So it's it's interesting because you take a look at what's happening now. The Colorado Avalanche have now, with a win tonight over the Washington Capitals, have pulled into third place in the Central Division. Uh, scary thought, but if the uh, playoffs started today, the Winnipeg Jets would be lining up against the Colorado Avalanche. Another scary shot or thought is that even though the Colorado Avalanche are eight points in the rearview mirror of the Winnipeg Jets, they also have three games in hand and have won, what is it, like five straight games or something like that. I, I don't think that that means that they're, they're automatically going to win those games. But what I do think is it means that there should probably be an expectation among the Dallas Stars and the Winnipeg Jets that with this many games, 30-some-odd games, 33 games left to go in the season, that the Colorado Avalanche are going to be joining those teams very possibly, if not likely, in that race for first place. And... uh 
I don't know if you look at it that way. I think, you know, you're going to have to have your up times, your down times. So if you want to use the excuses, this being a road trip, a long road trip, and the Jets didn't get their way out of this one, I, I think the one thing that I would couch that with is the idea that this was a road trip that included a lot of, based on the standings, a lot of winnable games, right? They go and they play the Montreal Canadiens. They play the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. They play the... Um, Nashville Predators tonight, and they play the Ottawa Senators. All games uh, on this road trip that are, are teams out of the playoffs. I mean, this is one of those perennial time-to-make-hay moments in the schedule, and instead the Jets walk away and they lose three of the games on that road trip. They come out, uh, I think, it's two wins and three losses on this road trip. Um, do I think it's time to hit the panic button? By no means at all. I think the Winnipeg Jets showed through good stretches of that game that they still have that little bit of dominance, uh, just weren't able to put it together all at the right times. But I would also caution before you get too crazy about that. The Winnipeg Jets, um, I, I would say, again, this is a game very similar in my eyes. Uh, to the Philadelphia Flyers game, a game in which the Jets got out, and I don't know how they do it. Boy, is it impressive. They come out to, and get out to that razor-fast, quick start that they did, I'd scoring on the first shot of the game. Uh, I was just a little bit late to the TV watching a, a curling event, uh, and I looked quickly at my phone and noticed the Jets had scored within the first minute. And it just goes back to what we were talking about, about this Jets team. They are not slow starters. They don't need a lot of shots to get going, but boy, they needed a lot of shots after that to get the second one, which never came. Um, allowing 40 shots in a game, this is another one of those situations where as crazy as it sounds, as good as UC Soros was. I think Connor Hellebuck was the better of the two goaltenders in the game. Uh, they had to get a guy in front of him and a tip to beat him, and they had to, uh, in, the, in the end, that last goal that he allowed, I thought they used his aggression against him. And when I say aggression, if you think of Connor Hellebuck coming way out on that two-on-one and stopping um, stopping the player without even like going down into the butterfly, just blockering it off into the corner. It's because he's way, way out cutting down the angle that he's able to do that. But it's also because he's way, way out cutting out the angle that this on the second goal, that the shot that misses the net has him so far from that back post and allows a tenor, you know, to grab the puck and uh, tuck it around before uh, Connor Hellebuck can get there. Um, again, I've got all the time in the world for this game being a game where what we saw from the Winnipeg Jets is not what we would expect to see typically from the Winnipeg Jets. And a lot of that would have to do with the travel and the long road trip and all those kind of things. But, but a bad second period looked very much like the Philadelphia Flyers bad second period that allowed them into the game. Uh, a strong push um, in the third period of that game is one they had to make because they'd fought, gone down, uh, they didn't allow that next goal against the Philadelphia Flyers, but I, I'm thinking that these are two mirror games that we're seeing, one in which the Jets were able to pull it out, one in which they weren't able to pull it out. Um, so if I'm seeing a pattern in their game, what I'm seeing is it's a game that is going to give them results on some nights and not results on other nights. That's not necessarily fitting the profile of Rick Bonus saying this is a team that has a responsibility as a team pushing for first to show up night in and night out. 
On the other side of things here, the Boston Bruins are showing everything, everything that Rick Bonus has said the Winnipeg Jets should be doing in the spot they're in right now. The Jets clearly are a team that is not getting to that as consistently as a team like the Boston Bruins. But hey, we're only seeing the Boston Bruins doing something almost no team has ever done in the history of the game. That's a pretty high bar to hold, but no doubt it's a high bar uh, that Rick Bonus sets for this team, wants him to achieve. And I would argue that even with a win in their last game, but tonight as well, I don't think it's a bar that we've been seeing the Winnipeg Jets. If you take into account the Montreal Canadiens game, the Toronto Maple Leafs game, uh, I'll give it, give them full credit for the Ottawa game, but the Philadelphia game where they blew that three goal lead in this last game out of the five games, I don't think they've achieved that standard that Rick Bonus has set for them in four of those games. So to come away with the two, three, uh, uh, two three record on a five game road trip it may just be better than they deserve ladies and gentlemen that's my take on it uh let's get kenny in here to get his take them out with the best music in the business here comes kenny Hey, Ken, before we get started, I wanted to bring this up, this comment from Jerry Brown, who says, hmm, eight out of nine on the road, five and eight days. Why would they be tired? For some reason, I imagine Jerry Brown typing this with his tongue firmly planted in his cheek. I'm all for this. And we heard this excuse uh, extensively throughout the month of December in which the Winnipeg Jets also had a great grind of a schedule. So I'm all for this. And and if you want to be for this, you before this as well. But then if you want to sit here at this moment where the Winnipeg Jets are fairly even in games with everyone else in the league and use the excuse that they're not winning games late because they have a grind of a schedule, well, they've got a grind of a schedule because they had a cakewalk of a schedule early on. And so if you want to say the Winnipeg Jets are not one of the best teams right now because their schedule is a grind, then you would be making, conversely, the same argument that their cakewalk of the schedule earlier in the season showed that they were a better team than they were. You can't have your cake and eat it too either. The Jets right now are not getting it done because they've got a grind of a schedule and the Jets got into a lofty position early in the season because they had a cakewalk of a schedule or ditch the excuses altogether, Jerry Brown. That's what I got to say. Ken, what did you think of the game tonight? <laughs> Early intensity. Uh, I mean, I I thought the Jets were great in the first, uh, very poor in the second, and, you know, tried to crank it up in the third. I think they got a little bit cute in the second period. Rick Bonus was certainly, uh, that's how he felt about it. Thought they overpassed a few times and um, sort of hurt them a little bit. I mean, hey, I mean, my story that I just filed is about the Jets' ability to not lean on that crutch, even though it is there. I mean, I think it is... There's a difference between calling it an excuse and saying it may have factored into the equation. I think it's pretty clear the Jets weren't at their sharpest. Uh, but whatever, they battled through. I mean, they're not going to always be the sharpest team. And uh, I said this earlier this week and in my column after the game against Philly. I mean, this is very simple. 
The Nashville Predators were 13 points behind the Jets going into today with two games in hand, Sean. Now, mm. I'm not saying they're trying to hunt down the Jets, but they went in three points below the playoff line. They had to. This was a had-to-win game for them. It wasn't a must-win because must-wins only happen when your season is on the line. But uh, they needed this game more than the Jets, and they dug deep. They dug deeper and found a way uh, to get the game <laughs> turned around. So uh, I think it something that they can you know learn from certainly uh i love the fact that pierre-luc dubois was upset about going two and three on the road trip and he said it felt like it had stepped back and rick bonus was quick to answer our our friend jeff hamilton's question about the fatigue right away that's no excuse so i mean that's good i mean the jets have not leaned on excuses yet nor should they right now but uh, i would also say that you know, this was a stretch of eight of nine on the road. They went five and four. Is that a great record? No. Is that a, is that a record that sinks a team season? Absolutely not. They were able to tread water in what was the busiest part of their schedule. That's not an excuse. Those are the facts. This was their longest trip of the year. They went two and three. They would have preferred to be three and two. Uh, I mean, did they deserve three and two? I mean, I'm not sure they did. I mean, uh, as you said, Connor Hellebuck had to be great today. Yeah. Um, 41 saves. He was great. Uh, and I would I would just say that Soros's ability to keep that a one nothing game, Sean, yeah, that's the reason Nashville was able to find their footing. And then in the second period, they outshot the Jets nineteen to five, and they had the majority of the play. I mean that that also was important uh, in this game. I, I I think the Jets for the most part played a steady game. I mean it wasn't their A game, but it certainly wasn't their C minus game. I mean they gave up. You know, we praised the fourth line and for good reason on Sunday night in the game against Philly when they scored two goals. Tonight they were on the ice for both goals against Sean. They lost a face-off. I mean, Kevin Stenland went seven of nine. That is fantastic. But oh. one of his two losses came in the defensive zone when, after an icing, when John Hines threw out his top line against the Jets' fourth line. Cody Glass got it to the side. Forsberg got it back to the point. Roman Yossi shot Cody Glass tipped it in. Uh, then on the game-winning goal, a um, couple of not great plays leading up to it, but, I mean, Sacramento Linen had the puck on his stick along the boards and turned the puck over, and that led to the shot from Tommy Novak off the end boards. And I would say this quickly. I mean, uh, I don't blame Hellebuck on that. And I'm not saying that you were. You certainly weren't blaming him, but I don't know that... It, it, to me, it's deeper than the aggression, Sean. We've been in that building a lot. I think the end boards in Nashville are among the liveliest in the entire NHL. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think he was over-aggressive. I just think it's one of those, it's just bad luck. I mean, it's a shot that is, you know, Novak's not trying to shoot it wide. It went wide and it kind of landed on Janot's stick and Hellebuck still got his leg over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also too, I, I don't blame the defenseman necessarily either, right? I mean, I don't, you can't predict that the puck is going to be shooting off the end boards to the, to the winger either. Just one of those things that uh, Rick bonus would say that's hockey. That's one of those plays where it's tough to defend. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, Hey, that's, that's the way it goes. The jets aren't going to win every game down the stretch. I mean, you're right. They played, uh, you know, they played three teams that were below the playoff line Two, two, no, sorry, four, right. On that trip, there was four yep. teams above or below yep. the playoff line and the Leafs were the only one above. Uh, and they only won one, you know, two of those games. So uh, they would be disappointed. Uh, I think the bigger issue now for me, Sean, I mean, we always hear about it, and it's one of the great mysteries of life. Uh, teams coming home from their long road trips, they usually are flat and play a dud in the first one back, and the Jets 
better not do that because the Buffalo Sabres are rolling and the Buffalo Sabres will be disappointed because they felt that they deserved better probably the other, you know, a week and a half ago when the Jets went out and, and took a game from them in a game where Buffalo, for the most part, I thought played, played okay. So uh, overall, like I said, I think this is, uh, you know, not a huge deal for the Jets. It wasn't their best, wasn't their worst, uh, you know, a little bit of a lack of finish. And then they kind of got away from their game in the second period and were a little bit, you know, to use Cole Perfetti's words to Jeff Hamilton, they were a little bit lackadaisical. And sometimes when you get lackadaisical against a team that's hungry, that's the result. And again, I mean, it's not a thing, like I said, I'm not overreacting by this. I'm not overreacting by any game the Jets play. It's one of 82. Uh, there's There are always going to be things they can do better at for the most, for the most part. They were good in the first, pretty good in the third, kind of went to sleep in the second. And mm. I'd be curious to see if that's something that, you know, that that's also started sort of part of what you said, Sean. I mean, they kind of, they had, it was similar to, similar to the Philly game in that in the second period, there were plenty of times to get the lead extended and they weren't able to do so. And that ended up costing them in the end. That's for sure. Um, Hey, uh, it's been a while. You know what the nicest part about this road trip ending is that we can finally get back into some more of Vittorio Rossi clothing and stop looking like the bums that we have made ourselves out to be this last little while. Uh, Going to be getting nice to get something for uh, from Frank and the boys on again. I'm looking forward to it, Ken. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah, uh, Jets certainly. off tomorrow, right? Jets off tomorrow with uh, coming off yeah, that road trip. So we're going to have to wait till Thursday when they play Buffalo. Let's promise each other we're going to look just snazzy as all heck for that time when that comes back in. And uh, if you want to look snazzy as all heck, uh, you know what you got to do. Head down to Cordon Avenue. Go see the boys of Vittorio Rossi. Uh, ask for Frank. Tell him Kenny and Rennie sent you. He'll set you up or one of the boys there will set you up. You'll look like a million bucks, uh, which is what Kenny and I promise we will look like on Wednesday Thursday. Uh, excuse me, Thursday, uh, as the uh, Buffalo Sabres are in. It'll be good to get back doing some TV work, although I did do some uh, this last weekend, Ken, for you. It's been a while. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be nice to get back to that. Uh, let's get right into it as well because we're already 18 minutes in and we're going to bring in Jeff Hamilton uh, again. Uh, but uh, let's uh, give me your lamplighter of the night. Yeah, I mean, just a beautiful setup. Uh, Dylan DeMello to Cole Perfetti. Great job of finding Pierre-Luc Dubois on the back door. And, you know, beautiful goal. Uh, just a, a again, and that, this is all about the setup. I mean, just an absolute beautiful backdoor pass. Uh, incredible vision by Cole Perfetti to find Dubois for his 21st. And, yeah, just absolutely a, a fabulous, uh, fabulous, <laughs> just a fabulous play all around. And, uh I mean, again, nothing against the goals that were scored by Nashville. And you know what? Cody Glass, honorable mention to him. The Winnipegger has been doing an excellent job uh, this last stretch. That's his sixth point in his last seven games. He looked really solid on that top line uh, for the Predators with Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. Uh, I thought he's been doing a fantastic job and, you know, good on him. It's been a little bit of a longer road uh, for the former, well, for the sixth overall draft pick in his class. Um, I thought he had an excellent year last year with Milwaukee and, you know, good on him for making the team and not only making the team, but he has earned the trust of John Hines and he's now playing a top line role, which is why he was drafted to be in that role. But, uh, for me, it's the pass by Perfetti to Dubois and the finish, uh, that secures the lamplighter for this evening brought to you by the excellent folks at Trans Canada Brewing Company. And for those who may have missed the show the other night, uh, yeah, we just had a fabulous time there and, uh, you know, 
And again, big salute to all the folks who showed up for supporting and the great folks of TransCanada Brewing Company for uh, for hosting. That was just a fantastic event. For those of you who like to call Rennie a contrarian, uh, you're going to be disappointed because I've got no argument with that. I have to say, um, Cole Perfetti, making that pass, that is something else. The vision on that pass is lights out, out of this world. Um, uh, and I think now he's got 29 points to 36 by Maddie Beneers. I know we've talked about it on this show. I know I've laid the claim that there's potential for him to score his way back into that race. Uh, and like I'd said earlier on, I thought he'd have to outscore Beneers by quite a bit because I think Beneers is more like a driver on that team uh, than I would say Cole Perfetti is more kind of lives in the wake of some of the big players on this team, the Mark Shifley's, the Pierre-Luc Dubois, the Kyle Connors, uh, but at the same time giving up games due to his injury. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think if he catches them in points, it's going to be a pretty close race down the stretch there. Uh, good on that. But, uh, Ken, you absolutely nailed it. You are right, 100%. That is the lamplighter of the night. Although I've got room for an argument if people want an argument out there. Hey, perfect. By arguing what the lamplighter <laughs> of the night is, you enter yourself to win a frosty, delicious eight-pack of lamplighter amber ale from our friends at Transcanner Brewing Company. But if you can't wait for Kenny and Rennie to deliver an eight-pack to you, head on down to Transcanner Brewing Company. Join them in their tap room at 11290 Kennison. As Ken said, we were there. It was awesome. The food is great. The beer is great. Uh, I know that we push the lamplighters as we should. It's the nectar of the gods but they have so many great beers there so don't uh don't sell yourself short if you're heading down there pick up a couple extra uh, a couple extra uh cases of beers different things to drink try out a pizza it's good stuff uh let's get through this ken uh, i think i know where this is going to go um we oh sorry i gotta announce the winner of the last uh, lamplighter and that would be doug thorowski i don't know that i've seen doug in the chat room tonight, we see him here quite Usually often. in there, yeah. Yeah, Doug, uh, you are on the clock now. Before Thursday, you need to send me a direct message to at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me your full name, which I am assuming is Doug Thoroski, and an email where I can send you your voucher. And you, too, will have your own Frosty Delicious 8-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale provided to you by Kenny and Rennie. You're on the clock. Good stuff. Ken, let's move on to our Johnson group. Got you covered play. I think we should say plays because I think we're going, we know where we're going with this, uh, but the Johnson group got you covered play slash plays of the game. Yeah, for me, it's twofold. It's obviously the Josh Morrissey blocked shot to, to prevent the empty netter for Mikhail Granlin, but also on that play, Blake Wheeler does a really good job of, ensuring on the back check that the puck has to go over to Granlund. Uh, so for me, uh, that is the play. I mean, I also think it, you know, also I, an honorable mention here as well, and it would be easy to make the argument for it um, because we're going to get into it a lot more when Jeff gets on here also. To me, Logan Stanley's first shift is also a sign to his teammates that he has you covered. Um, you know, lots of debate on the old social media going into the game. Logan Stanley is inserted for Dylan Sandberg. He makes a massive hit on Cody Glass on his first shift. He immediately obliges Alexander Carrier 
when he drops the gloves. Uh, I thought that was important for for Logan Stanley. He needs to. I'm not saying he has to fight every single game. Obviously, he doesn't. But he needs to be a physical force when he returns into the lineup. And he immediately made an impact on the physical side. So, I mean, we're going to get into that a little bit further. But to me, the the play by Morrissey to block the shot, and also, you know, in a game where I thought that Blake Wheeler had a bit of a tough go, um, really made a good effort to force, you know cut off the angle so that there wasn't a shooting lane open and, and force the pass over. So um, I'm going to stick with Josh Morrissey as the We've Got You Covered, sponsored by the good folks at the Johnston Group, the OGs. I think you nailed that. Uh, I think you absolutely nailed uh, the um, the big stand stuff as well. I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I thought it would be very obviously Morrissey, but I've got all the time in the world for that argument uh, as big stand having the we've got you covered. Um, I, I want to dig into that, but let's yeah. hold off and dig into that. That can be a whole other uh uh, conversation we have on the show. I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to the Kenny and Rennie OGs, the Johnson Group. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. All right, we've made you all wait long enough. I know when I announced it just a little while ago, we had some excited calls for Hammer in the show. Uh, I'd be excited too. A, he's a great guy. B, he's got great takes. C, he's got great music. Why don't we listen to it right now? Let's bring in the hammer. Hammer, if you think you're making this show go 45 minutes overtime like you did last one, you got another thing coming, buddy. You got a lot of nerve pulling that off every time. I don't know how you do it, but you keep doing it. And to be honest, I absolutely love it. How are you doing, my man? What do you think of the game? Survived, man. Survived uh, last night. Um, you know, great, great time on Broadway, as I mentioned to you guys, as you encouraged me to get back out there tonight for being in Nashville. That I <laughs> Probably had a, a, enough fun for the next couple trips, but uh, made it to the game, made it to morning skate. Um, and then, yeah, obviously tonight's game. Personally, I don't – I mean, disappointing result, no doubt. Um, you know, I think – I know the Winnipeg Jets wanted to end on a high note, you know, after losing those first two games and even it back up in the last two games to, to leave Nashville 3-2 and two rather than 2-3. and three. Um, obviously, is a would have been a, would have been preferred, but I felt like you know for a team that's played eight five games in eight days, I didn't hate their effort. I thought their first period they were the better team in the game. Obviously, things got away from them in the second period. I thought it was interesting that Rick Bonus felt you know they gave up or they let go too many chances. You know they didn't take advantage of their odd man rushes, and um, you know I, I you could certainly tell they were tired. Uh, you looked you know I, I thought you know guys like. You know, Pierre-Luc Dubois were, were reaching, you know what I mean? I felt like he was sluggish by the end of the game. Um, you know, I, 
lot of same like guys like Kyle Connor, just just a, a tad bit off, you know, on, on everything. Like, you know, whether it was retrieving pucks and and whatnot and some, you know, some kind of some needless giveaways. But, uh, you know, you just felt that you felt after Nashville tied the game up that the next team that scored was going to win the game. I mean, both of these goalies played absolutely incredible. I mean, what a, you know, what a waste of a, of a, of a Connor Hellebuck. Herculean, Herculean effort for him between the pipes, but Soros. I mean, the guy's absolutely ridiculous. And um, and if you look at it, I mean, that third period, I felt like the Jets. You know, I think they. I think some of that momentum from the second certainly bled into the third. I thought the Jets were a bit on their heels there, but you know, Mark Shifley gets a, a, an opportunity in close right off the bat. I mean, this is this is a game where you finish one of several quality opportunities and it's a much different game i mean adam lowry is absolutely snake bit right yeah. now. I mean, this, guy, this guy has been generating opportunity after opportunity i know we've talked and the chats talked in the past about you know he does things you know outside of you know hitting the score sheet to, to you know to benefit this team but and that's certainly true but i mean man i mean this you just know that he's uh you know he's frustrated right now and um getting the opportunities just not being able to finish them so you know, to me, it's, you know, again, a disappointing result. But at the end of the day, for a team that played five games in eight days, I thought the effort was there. It's just the, the execution was a little bit off. Uh, I want to get into this right off the bat. Ken talked about it uh, um, briefly. Um, give me your take uh, on Logan Stanley, how he started the game, how he continued through the game. What were your thoughts? Uh-oh, it's a scary topic to talk about. It's a very, uh, you know, I, I could see, you know, the rage, you know, leading when I tweeted out the lines, there was a lot of rage online. And, and you know, I I understood that, I, I guess, in the sense that, you know, Dylan Sandberg was out of the lineup. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny, like Kyle Capobianco hasn't played bad when he's been in games. And you wonder when he's going to get a shot to get in the lineup. But I, I will tell you this, um, they were trying to get him in the lineup sometime during this trip. Um, it was clear, I think, that the fatigue, like, you know, the energy level or, you know, the game time fitness, if you will, wasn't there through the first couple games, uh, first few games. And I think that it was a possibility, uh, you know, against Philadelphia. And, and then um, then today it was still it was clearly one of the game time decisions. Um, I thought it was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, I, 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 talk, I said about Capo Bianco, I felt like, you know, he's played well when he's been in and why he, why he couldn't. Um, Capo Bianco or whatever. I know some corrections here. I, I even looked up and Googled his name and said it four times before I came on. <laughs> but, uh, but then, um, but then, you know, but it was interesting because I, I talked to Logan today, like after morning skate, I sat down with him and, uh, you know, I, I went over to him. He'd already been sitting there for a bit. And I said, Hey, you want to take some of your gear off or, um, you know, what's the scene or whatever. He's like, yeah, man, just let me catch my breath. <laughs> I was like, okay, um, that's interesting. And, and in our conversation, I mean, whether it was just being coy or whatever, like I got the vibe I got from both him and bonus was that he wasn't going to be playing tonight. So I was a bit surprised to see him in the lineup. Um, I think people immediately thought that maybe Dylan Sandberg's injured or hurting. Um, that wasn't the case. He was a pure healthy scratch. Um, and what else is odd is that he got scratched on his champagne birthday. You know, today's his mm. 24th birthday on the 24th day. And I think that's just, I don't know. I just, I don't know if that's an overlook. I know you don't look at these kind of things in, in making your roster decisions, but it's not like Dylan Sandberg has, has played badly. Um, so I thought that was a bit interesting. But at the same time, Logan Stanley had, hadn't played, you know, and in, in really for much of the season. I mean, he got in two games and got hurt, you know, after that first ankle injury and, and then got hurt against, um, you know, in that second game against Chicago after playing what I thought was a decent game against St. Louis the, the, the game before. Um, but as for tonight, I thought, 
you know, I thought he was pretty decent. Um, you know, for a guy who hasn't played that long, for a guy who's not in game shape, I thought he played a simple game. I think he was sheltered a little bit in his minutes, but um, it's kind of funny uh, that hit that he threw on Cody Glass earlier. I was ch- I was trying to figure out who, what what that collision was, so I went to like the play by play. They gave Cody Glass the hit on that one. Oh, so come on, that was kind of funny. Um, but you know, gets physical early. I mean, that's what Rick Bonus said he wanted him in there for was to bring that physical physical presence to the game. Um, and then to drop the gloves, man, anyone who's been in a hockey fight before, and I know I don't look it, but I've been in my fair share over junior, it is exhausting. So to, to get back and pretty much within a, you know, your first shift, get back after a long layoff to, to, to chuck them, um, that takes a lot out of you. So, um, ultimately I thought, you know, a a good effort by him. You you know, he was, um, he was even, you know, plus minus, he wasn't on for, for many mistakes. He, he chipped in, um, he he chipped in, um, you know, on, on the penalty kill as well. So, you know, all things considered, I thought Logan Stanley played like a pretty good game today. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Hammy, I liked his game, you know, again, as a perfect no of course you can't expect it to be perfect and uh we understand that this runs deep for some folks in the free villi fan club but i mean obviously the jets want his physical nature in the lineup and it's interesting i mean i was talking with ben sherrod on the last road trip and he was talking about you know he was around with logan stanley came in and he sort of drew a couple parallels to his own game. It can be hard. You get in your own head about, you know, how physical you can be and you, you can't chase the physical nature, but you also have to make sure that you are physical at the same time. It's a really hard. I mean, again, we understand Logan's not a young guy anymore, but he's still young in terms of experience. So uh, finding that line and when to go, I mean, I thought he handled it perfectly in the first and, Jeff, you're right. I mean, if you're Logan Stanley, probably the last thing you want to be doing on your first shift back since December 9th is getting to a tilt. Uh, and Tico and Apolli, he handled them easily. It was not... You a, can tell it. I, I, I give Carrier credit for hanging in there, but he landed oh, two yeah. big rights on the chin. Uh, and that is out of Carrier's weight class in terms of dropping the gloves with Logan Stanley, but he handled himself fine. It wasn't That, that fight was not close. Um, but regardless, I thought Stanley did what he could. Uh, I thought he was steady. Uh, and again, Sean, I'm going to reiterate this too. And I've said it to you numerous times and I am convinced, like, just look at when he's being brought back into the lineup last time against St. Louis, this time against Nashville. I think Rick bonus sees elements of Jamie Alexiak's game. He saw what happened when Jamie Alexiak left to go to the Pittsburgh Penguins and Jim, (laughs) Jim nil had to go back and trade for him to get him back and he was a big part of that team when they um a when they went you know and had the great series with the blues that you and i covered sean and then secondly alexiak was still a big part of their defense core when they went to the stanley cup final i mean i'm not saying it's an equal thing but he sees parallels in his game in terms of his physical nature in terms of his ability to kill penalties and um, you know, this is going to be a competition, an open competition. I'm not here to say that Dylan Sandberg is out of the competition. He's very much in it. But this goes back to, you know, much like we said with Villy when he had the tough game against Montreal. Um, you know, Dylan Sandberg was the guy who pinched at an inopportune time against the Philadelphia Flyers on the first goal that was scored against them. And sometimes, you know, you don't want guys looking over their shoulder, but that one mistake was part of the decision why he wasn't in the lineup today. So it had to have been. Otherwise, you know, there's other, no really other explanation for it. So I'll be curious to see how this gets handled moving forward. And 
you know, there's three games before the break here. I expect that we see Dylan Sandberg in one of the three. Uh, but I would expect that based on today that Logan Stanley, Sean, we talked about it all the time. He earned himself another look. Yeah, no doubt. You know what? I like Phyllis's comment here. She says, I think Stan has taken fighting lessons. He knew how to topple the Nashville guy, and I don't remember him ever doing that before. Also, his smash of glass on the boards, that was quite the statement. Um I'm all over this comment. The reason why I am is I think that uh, I think that getting Vili Hainla to be as physical as they want him to be has been one of these things that the Jets coaches spanning from this coaching staff to the previous coaching staff, I think they've been trying to elicit and get that out of them. I think one of the things that is kind of the, the tell on that is they're always talking about his physicality and needing his physicality. And I'll say this, I for one don't think that his physicality has matched coaches' comments from this group or the previous group uh, for the most part, I mean, there are some moments here and who can for, forget the moment, you know, where he does the victory and holding the helmet up. But if you think of that game, that the most iconic Logan Stanley moment, he essentially ducked the guy who was chasing him all game and, and was celebrating basically avoiding fighting that player in that game. Um, we know he can fight, and I can tell you that right now because Keegan Colasar, who's a Winnipeg boy, plays for the Vegas Golden Knights, fought him at one time, and when the fight finished up, the camera caught him kind of shaking his head with his eyes bulging and being like, that was something else. And Keegan is a uh, – I've talked with him about it before, and Keegan said, Logan Stanley's the real deal. Like, he's big, he's strong, he's tough. But I agree with Phyllis here. We haven't seen a lot of this from him. I think – that there was a, a strong push. I think the Winnipeg Jets took this opportunity with him out of the lineup and rehabbing and coming back to kind of plant in his head what kind of player they wanted him to be. And I think that that first shift was just an example of him saying, to your point, Ken, I got to get out there. I've been out of this for a long time. I've seen what's happened between Vili Hainla and Dylan Sandberg. I've seen that Vili Hainla has not quite grasped the brass ring. Uh, and I've seen that v Dylan Sandberg, for the most part, has been steady while he's been in here. So the bar has been set. Dylan Sandberg has set the bar for what it's going to take to get in on this back end for the Winnipeg Jets and stick around for a while. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if it was put that bluntly to him, but I, I think that Logan Stanley got the message here from his coaching staff that if he wants to stick around for a certain amount of time, he is going to need to have to play a more rugged game. He's going to have to impact the game in that way far more often. You see, you don't need it all the time, but Pierre-Luc Dubois is a great example of a guy tonight who went out and I thought worked hard to drag the Jets into the fight. I thought gave the Jets energy down the stretch that gave them that push that allowed them to hit two posts and almost tie that game. That kind of play from guys who are capable of playing like that can have an impact on the game. And I'll say this, out and out, Logan Stanley has not done that enough in his time with the Winnipeg Jets. He needs to do it more. We have not seen him. We have seen moments where he's affected the game physically and turned the tide in the Jets' favor or taken the other team off their game. We've seen that, so we know he's capable of it. But the fact he's capable of it and we don't see it as like a common thing, the fact that we don't define Logan Stanley like that, I think is problematic for him, his career, and his potential to stay in this lineup. I think the message was sent to him uh, in his timeout and that him 
answering the bell as quickly as he did was a clear-cut message to his coach that that message was received loud and it was received clearly. Um, I, let's switch gears here. Uh, there was a comment made earlier on, and I know, Ken, you said earlier on uh, that Blake Wheeler had a bit of a tough go uh, of it tonight. Noah Lafort, I think, takes it a little too far when he says, how much longer does Blake Wheeler last in the top six? Why not try Barron up there with Scheif and Ehlers? Barron brings that power like Wheeler but has more speed. He doesn't have that skill set of Wheeler, though. Um, I, I bring this up to say uh, more along the lines of I think people are noticing uh, and it's funny to say that after Blake Wheeler was the guy who found Mark Shifley on that really pretty power triangle passing play in just their last game. But uh, I want you to elaborate on what you thought about Wheeler having a tough go and where you think his game is alongside his line mates. Sorry, I thought, whatever. I mean, I he's 36 years old. He's not going to be great every night. Um, you know, have, on, a, on a trip like this where they play eight of nine on the road, I think it's natural for... Blake to not have as much in the tank. Uh, as we always say, it's never a matter of effort. And as I said earlier, I mean, in a game where he didn't have a great showing, he still made an effort play to prevent an empty net goal. So uh, in terms of Morgan Barron, I prefer Logan Barron with Adam Lowry. Um, I think that Morgan Barron is a guy who can fill in on the top six if you need him, if there's a bunch of injuries. Uh, but I mean, it's just not as naturally gifted in terms of skill or finish, but he still goes to the hard areas. He can dig pucks out. He does a great job on the forecheck. I think he's a great penalty killer. Uh, but to me, Morgan Barron is more of a bottom six player. Um, in terms of Blake Wheeler, I mean, he's had a good year. I mean, better than most people expected. I mean, there are going to be ups and downs over the course of a year, and today was one of those downs, and it wasn't a terrible game for him. Um, but... Didn't have a, this is one of the games where we've talked about it a lot. There, there have been plenty of days where he's had his legs. I didn't find that he had his legs very well in the game today. I mean, Jeff, you were in the rink. I mean, am I missing? Is it, am I wrong there? Or it just seemed like it was one of the games where Blake wasn't really moving. Um, I'm not saying peak Wheeler, but I mean, there have been lots of nights this year where he's been moving his feet and uh, been effective. I just didn't think that he was really rolling. And, and that line as a whole, I didn't really think was rolling, even though they've had some good shifts and had a couple of opportunities. Yeah, Blake Wheeler is the best option for the top six. Like, yeah. When you I look mean, at the rest of the roster, like I, I just don't think, you know, there's a point in moving, moving him. Um, I'm with you, Kenny, in the fact that he's 36 years old. Um, you know, he's 36 years old. He's at the end of a five-game road trip. He's probably just tired. I think you saw a lot of that. I just don't think he had a, a ton of, of, of gas in the tank. Um, and ultimately, you know, just looked it. And so, you know, it's an 82-game season. You're going to see that from a guy who's, you know, who's that that age, essentially. And um, But I didn't think he played bad. I just think he was, no, no, you know, like, a, like a number of players, was just off a little bit on a certain thing. I mean, I thought it was interesting, though, because, you know, as someone brought it up here, like that hooking penalty was kind of weird. It was kind of lazy. You know what I mean? Like it, was, it wasn't necessary. I thought it was – I almost felt like it was a makeup call because earlier in the game, like – he took a slash on somebody. I forget who it was, um, but it was in the offensive zone and took pretty liberty on 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 laying the wood on the guy's side. It could have easily been called for a penalty. So I don't know if that was just a makeup call, but that but uh, the penalty kick built bailed him out there. Ultimately, I just felt like he was, you know, maybe just tired. It was, um, but overall, I don't think he was any worse or you know necessarily than a handful of other guys in the top six that just didn't seem to have it. It's just. I think it weighs on a guy who's, you know, not 25 and, and instead, you know, is in his mid-30s. 
Yeah, I've got all day for that argument. I think we've said it before. Father Time wins all battles, but in the meantime, Blake Wheeler's been given Father Time Great. a little bit I mean, of beating here. Um, uh, and I, I will say this. Uh, you would expect, you know, if what I was talking about earlier on and what we're seeing from a lot of the top teams in the league right now is a bit of that winter grind setting in. I think people are looking around the corner and seeing that the All-Star break isn't that far away. The motivation is waning uh, when you're a top team. Um, I think that, uh, that, that, that with the, if the motivation is waning, it affects you far more than the lower teams who like, if suddenly they find themselves in a game against an upper level team that doesn't have the motivation while the excitement sets in like, Oh my goodness, we, we can hang with these guys. Hold on a sec. We may go out and win this one tonight. Right. So I think it's a lot harder for top teams to find the motivation. You're seeing that, um, you would fully expect it, it, it. And I'll say this again, uh, Blake Wheeler being in the neighborhood of a point per game player is not something that I would have expected this year. I thought that those days were fully and firmly behind him. Uh, but if you were to tell me that at the beginning of the season, yeah, Blake Wheeler is going to head into January sitting around a point per game pace, I would suggest that uh, when that grind comes along and people start getting tired, the 36-year-old player is the one who's probably going to be feeling it as much as anyone else. And I think the evidence is there. We can see in games where Blake Wheeler doesn't seem to have his legs. It feels like he takes one of those, you know, way behind the play hooking penalties almost every single time. He got caught red-handed tonight, and it didn't even look like he was trying to, to hide it. It almost looked like frustration, like he was just like, I, I, I'm not even there. Um, uh, but I, I will say this. I mean, he did miss some time due to injury. I don't know if that counts as rest. Maybe maybe we're giving him too much leniency or too much of an excuse to suggest right now that he's tiring out when he just did come off a long stretch of hockey where he didn't have to play. Um, but yeah, I, I've said this before and, you know, it's the same thing. Like when, when, uh, Kuhlman was finding his way up into the top of the lineup and yeah. Okay. So he's got two goals. Now one of them was an empty netter. One of them, he was just driving the net. The puck slipped off his stick and found its way to the back of the net. Uh, I, Cool. I, I'd said this before. Coolman for a while there, when he was playing up in the top six, was where offense went to die on that line. He just doesn't have uh, what those guys need to kind of make those plays. Um, I think that uh, uh, we we do get that from Blake Wheeler, but I'll also say this. The style of game that has allowed Blake Wheeler to resurrect himself this season is the Rick bonus way of getting him to go to the front of the net and just grind in front of the net and create chaos. Um, this is another one of those nights where a few nights ago, Rick bonus changed these lines because he was trying to get those players to play a different way. We saw a little bit of that from Blake Wheeler in uh, that Ottawa game where he went to the front of the net and the puck bounced off him and went in because he was creating chaos and going to the front of the net. He was fully back to the let's find a lane and, and do the snake charmer offense that there was no real commitment for him to go to the front of the net and create that chaos. And so I think it's to me this season, if he doesn't have his game, it's fairly obvious because when he does, you just need to look to the front of the net and find him there because that's where he's supposed to be. That's where Rick bonus wants him. If he's not there, it, it's, it's it's evidence to me that his legs just don't have the juice to get in there at that point. Uh, before we move on, Ken, why don't you give a shout-out to our main man, Lou? 
You bet, folks. Uh, if you're in the real real estate market, if you're looking to buy, looking to sell, looking to see what your house is worth, maybe see what that one down the street is worth or one in another neighborhood, you can contact our main man, Lou Ferlin at Royal LePage Dynamic Realty, 204-791-9971 or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at louferlin.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. And Lou's website is www.louferlin.ca. Ferlin.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including our show. And we thank him very kindly for that support. Ex- excellent stuff. Absolutely excellent stuff. Uh, this interesting from, uh, oops, let me get this off the screen here quickly. This one interesting from John Chan. The Avs are coming on strong, winning six straight game tonight. I would be worried about them catching us if we lose to teams below us. Um, I, you're going to lose to teams below you. It's going to happen. Uh, I would ask you this, though, Ham. The teams below you when you're the second best team in the NHL. <laughs> well, I, th- I think the point that they're making is teams below the playoff line. Below this playoff was, line, as we talked about the, off the top of the show, this was a road trip in which they faced a whole bunch of teams out of the playoffs and uh, and come out of it on the losing end of it. Um, I'll say this. Uh, I personally think that what we're seeing from the Avs, and everyone knows my feelings on this. I said this earlier on in the season. Eventually, the Colorado Avalanche are coming, and it looks like now six straight wins is going to do that. Eight points behind the Jets, but three games in hand. Sitting in third place, the way that the uh, um, Minnesota Wild are playing right now, it's starting to look like the top three in the Central Division is being solidified. I think, gentlemen, that based on what we've seen this season, uh, the fact that Colorado is coming the way they are, I understand the urgency uh, by Rick Bonus to push this team to become the first place team in the Central Division because I would suggest trying to avoid the Colorado Avalanche um, and facing them in the first round should be priority number one. And the best way to do that, I think, is to finish first in the division. Um, what do you see? Hammy, in the way that at this stage of the season we're shaping up in the Central Division with the likes of the Jets, uh, but also the Stars, the Avs, and the Minnesota Wild. Feels like the West is wide open. You know, it, it doesn't feel like you know as as well as the Jets have played this season, and you know teams like Dallas have certainly played well as well, and Colorado's catching up, and the Predators aren't far out. Uh, you know, of that second wild card spot either. Um, but I mean, I think the good news for Jets fans is the Jets aren't really happy with their game right now. And I mean, those are, you know, we've talked about this a lot in the past and particularly when we compare it to other years where they almost felt comfortable with their game when they were, even when they were losing, you know? And, and, um, so I, you know, I, I think there's a real opportunity here for Winnipeg for sure. I mean, they come home for the next three games. This was a big month for them. You know, they, they sat, they got together at the beginning of this month. And, you know, I think I talked about this last show, but they got together at the beginning of this month and talked about where they wanted to be at the end of this month and to set themselves up for an opportunity to come back from the all-star break, um, building up a cushion, you know, and first and then having a great, you know, they know how intense that last 30 game stretch is going to be. I think, you know, you look at a team like Colorado Avalanche and they've, they've dealt with their injuries. I mean, so have the Jets, obviously, um, but they've come back with a vengeance here. They're, you know, they, they're an experienced team, obviously, as the reigning Stanley Cup champions, and they know when they need to turn it on. They know, you know, like there's desperate teams. The, these teams are now getting desperate. I mean, that's what you've heard, you know, Rick Bonus and players call these teams that they're, you know, they're playing in the division below them. They're a desperate team, and ultimately, you need to match 
you know, a, a team's desperation uh, night in and night out. And I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting, right? Because this is a situation where the Jets are are the ones with the targets on their back. They're the ones that everybody, you know, sp- you know speaks respectfully about, talks about how, you know, how, how, how talented they are, how, you know, how their, how their uh, special teams are clicking, you know, obviously the, how great their goaltending is and, and um, you know, and so they're getting every team's best, and so I think they're like it or not, they're gonna they're gonna get you know they're gonna get those solid efforts, whether it's a team you know a couple points behind them or a team that's chasing for the playoffs. And I think that's gonna I think I think the Jets have under Rick Bonus have become a mentally stronger team. I think they welcome the challenge, and so it's gonna be fascinating to see what this final stretch looks like to see if because it's asking a lot, right? I mean, this is so far so good for Winnipeg, but. You know, as I mentioned, the, the games are only going to get tougher. They're only going to mean more. I mean, they're all worth the same two points. But teams, teams who are out of the playoff race, are getting desperate. You know, they, you know, they, they, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make up ground. It's way, it's, it's a lot more motivation to make up ground than to keep ground. Um, and so I think, uh, but, but at the same time, I mean, the Jets are healthier now. I think we're looking at it'll be very interesting to see what the trade deadline brings trade deadline brings and, and, and the pieces that they add as we've talked for for weeks now um this is the biggest i'd argue the biggest moment for kevin shovel day off of his tenure in winnipeg and what he can and what he can do over that over that trade deadline so um overall i think it you know this is a team that's proven that you know even in games that they haven't liked and games that they've won that they you know that they're they're eager to push hard and, and there's that structure right i mean they know what to do it's this isn't one of those things where you know, in seasons past, it was almost as if it was like, yeah, you know, there's there's runway left, but they never really had a blueprint to, to succeed. And, and now that they have that blueprint under this coaching staff, um, I see it as an exciting stretch here for Winnipeg. And, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to match they're going to match that level and intensity. Other teams are going to throw at them and we're going to see some really good hockey down the stretch. And Sean, you're Ken- bang on about the abs. I mean, avoiding them. In the six-game winning streak, they've outscored their opponents twenty-six to eight, and Kale McCarr has missed at least three of those games. I think maybe possibly even more of them. So uh, that's you know this is not, this is not news. Like teams around the league know the Avalanche are coming. I mean, there's no surprise there. And you're right, Sean. I mean, the Jets would like to finish in first place. I mean, I guess your counter argument could be well, the best time to play the Avalanche are in the first round. Maybe, maybe yeah. you know, because they came from so far back and had all those injuries. I mean, but I don't buy that argument because they're getting healthier as the playoffs approach. So, um, you know, they're they're a dangerous and scary team. I mean, but I would say that no matter where a team finishes, you're going to have to beat two good teams to make the conference final, no matter who gets in. Uh, it's interesting with the Minnesota Wild. I mean, you know, they went from third in the central to below the playoff line today by the avalanche jumping over them because of what happened with, with Calgary and, and Edmonton. So uh, it's not going to be easy. They're going to have 30 games after the break. I think, you know, these are three important games for them before the break, especially, I mean, every game's important. As Jeff said, that game on Monday, I'm fascinated by because the blues are in a position where either they're going to load up for one more run or Doug Armstrong is going to consider selling off his pending UFAs. And those pending UFAs are going to be among the hot, most hotly recruited players leading into the deadline, including people that we've mentioned are very much on. They should, or if they're not, they should be on the radar of the Winnipeg jets. And that's Ryan O'Reilly and Ivan Barbashev in particular. Um, 
you know, I understand Tarasenko would be someone who'd be super interesting, but I don't see him as a real fit. Yes, his goal scoring would fit, and yes, he has won before, and he has a little bit of a physical element. He's a big, strong guy. Uh, but I see more of an O'Reilly or Barbashev uh, being better fits for the Jets going into the into the All Star or in, into the trade deadline. I mean, these guys are uh, O'Reilly is everything that Rick Bonus wants. I mean, he's a guy who has won it all. He you know he, he made life. He's one of the big. Yes, Jordan Bennington was great before he was hurt. Ryan O'Reilly is one of the biggest reasons that series went six games last year, Sean. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, this is a huge. guy who, you know, and if you want to go back to 2019, we've talked a lot about Mark Shifley being the guy that could put the Jets over the top, given how he played in the 2018 playoffs. Well, Ryan O'Reilly lived in Mark, Mark Shifley's back pocket the entire series in the six-game series in 2019. Um, so, yes, I mean, would the alternative of having Ryan O'Reilly in the Jets lineup rather than having to go head-to-head against him be a benefit to the team? Of course, but it depends what it's going to take to get him here, and I, we know that Ryan O'Reilly's not having the same kind of year, but that would not bother me one bit. I don't think <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly is the kind of guy that wouldn't show up in the playoffs. This guy loves winning, so... Uh, that's why I say I think Monday's game is going to be super interesting. I think, uh, you know, the Blues, I think they lost tonight to Buffalo, right? So, I mean, that's yeah. another big blow for them. Um, but They're I mean, dealing. They're dealing. I, They're dealing I think, with the trade deadline. Yeah, I would expect. I, I, I've already, sorry, don't want to give up no, my it's good. and I won't, but uh, conversations with some people out of uh, um, St. Louis sounds like there's every expectation that they'll move on from Ryan O'Reilly uh, and uh, Vladdy Tarasenko. Uh, so those two, I fully expect uh, to be on the move in that situation there. Um, just to your point that you made earlier on about the Avs, uh, someone had laughed and said that I had, uh, uh sighed in either displeasure or, or uh, aggravation. This is for, to 10, a city who says anybody facing the jets in the playoffs will at least be equally scared. Sure. Colorado is good. Dallas is good. LA is good. Colorado is good, et cetera. But so is Winnipeg. Let's try something new here. Glass half full Winnipeg, not empty. Um, 10A City is entirely missing the point of what we're saying here. Not one person here said, oh, you don't want to play the Colorado Avalanche because uh, because you can't beat them. No one here is saying that. What we're saying is if you can affect your own uh, year uh, and put yourself in as good a spot to go deep in the playoffs as you can, you'd be wise to avoid the Colorado Avalanche if you were doing it. It's the only point that's being made here. Uh, if you want cheerleaders, um, there's probably other places you can go find people who are waving pom-poms. We're going to break this down and dissect it the way that people should. We're trying to analyze this. and I don't think it's very deep analysis to suggest that running into the Colorado Avalanche earlier than you need to is uh, is not necessarily a good idea. That's what I. That's have to not say a knock on that. Winnipeg. But nah, <laughs> not a knock on Winnipeg at all. Um, I wanted to go in this direction though, so I have it with some people texting me during the game and making some suggestions of possible trades that could be made uh, by Kevin Shovel Day off. And the one thing I hear time and time again when I talk to fans is, "Why wouldn't people want to come here? The Jets look like they're so good; they could win the cup. Why wouldn't you know?" And every every time I hear a name, there's a you know Jonathan Taves, Horvat, Patrick Kane. Name somebody good out there, Ryan O'Reilly, and their take is always, why wouldn't they want to come here? The Jets look so good. 
I agree that the Jets look good. I agree that the Jets could make something special happen this year, and I agree with Hammy full-heartedly that this will be Kevin Cheveldayoff's most important trade deadline ever, maybe ever in his entire career, that I think that he has to go out and put his stamp on this team to put them in a position to do that. But I guess I ask this, Ken and Hammy. We'll start with Hammy. Down the stretch, how important is it that the Jets kind of separate themselves from the pack and don't look like a team that's being tracked down by the Colorado Avalanche or maybe put some separation between they and the Dallas stars or other teams around the league how important is it that the jets really put their best foot forward before the trade deadline so that they look like a team that is on the cusp of doing something special rather than maybe dropping in the subconsciousness of players to teams like boston who sounds like they're going to be going colorado who i think are with all the injuries they've had are going to be able to do something at the trade deadline carolina uh seattle a lot of teams out there that could make some noise and would be competing for these services. If your argument to me is you should go to the Winnipeg Jets because they're capable of doing something, how important is it now, Hammy, that between now and the trade deadline, the Jets make sure they look as strong as possible and maybe put a little distance and take a full hold of first place in the Central? Super important, but you could you could put any team in that sentence. I mean, I think it's important for any team to – showcase that they're playing the right way that because i think at the end of the day especially for players who are on 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 expiring contracts i mean they're you know all the all the other things that maybe come with you know things that people don't like about playing in winnipeg whether it be the weather or whatever and you know the city and whatnot i mean i i don't know if you know and those are just examples i know people jump on it i mean there are players out there that don't like coming to winnipeg it's just the reality i mean um but I don't think that matters in this kind of situation. I think the Jets do need to prove. I think players, when they're looking at, um, when they're looking at, you know, places to go for playoff runs, what they're looking for first and foremost is is opportunities, and those opportunities come in several different ways. First of all, you want to join a team who you think is is capable of winning, you know, the Stanley Cup. So if the Jets right now is sitting in second place in the division and second place in the conference. I think you know they've shown that they are a team that can do a long playoff push. Um, you look at a guy like Rick Bonus and what he's been able to do with that team. I think a lot of players out there would want to be coached by a, by a guy like that, right, who seems to care about his players. Um, but then there's the opportunity to line up. I mean, we're, 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 when you come in, you know, maybe they look at the second line and, and you know, look at an opportunity to maybe take a Blake Wheeler spot. And I don't know if it gets that specific, but if you're acquiring a, a top-end player like a Ryan O'Reilly, he's not going to be going on your third line. So, and I think he knows that. And if you look at some of the past, I mean, you know, it's a small, it's a small world, right, the NHL. And the reality is, is that, you know, you look at what the Jets have been able to do. I mean, um, Paul Stastny, you know, transitioned a, a long playoff run into another big contract, you know what I mean? And so, you know, with Vegas and then came back, I think there is an opportunity here and they want to play with good players. Look at the two lines that they would play with. Um, they'd either play with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor, or they play with Mark Shifley and, and, uh, and um, why am I drawing a blank? Mark Shifley and um, Blake Wheeler. Wheeler. Uh, Blake Wheeler. Cole, Cole Perfetti, you know what I mean? So like there is opportunity there. Um, so I, you know, I, but I don't think that's, like I said at the beginning, I don't think that's unique to Winnipeg, but I do think you do need to be showcasing that you're playing well. And at this point, if you're rolling by the trade deadline, I think there's going to be a lot of players that are interested in coming here, 
um, knowing that they're going to, you know, knowing that they're playing for a team that is likely to go deep into the playoffs, or at least, at least is showing or proving that. I mean, if, I think it's more the opposite or the other side. If you start playing, if you start going into a drought, or if you start playing some of your worst hockey hanging into the into the, the trade deadline, um, you know, playing 500 hockey, I don't think I think you lose your biggest sale sales pitch, and that's there you a go. dominating team. So, like, I think there you know, you at this, we all know, you know, we said it a couple times already in this conversation that you have to be playing your best hockey down the stretch. That's the you know, that's when the games get more intense. That's when the mental toughness becomes more of an issue. And and if if you're not doing that by February, then then you have the ability to you know, to, to maybe, you know, really uh, miss out on guys. At this point, I think the Jets are certainly in the conversation. They're certainly in a place where where they I think they're going to attract talent, but there are a handful of teams, whether they're, they're in this conference or in the other conference, um, that look pretty darn good. And Winnipeg is, you know, Winnipeg is, you know, to your point, Sean, or to your question, um, it's only going to be a better sales pitch if you're, if you're rolling, hanging into that deadline than if you, you know, if you're playing, if you're playing 500 hockey. Yeah, and for me, quickly, I mean, it's. I think the Jets have to make the decision. Sean, to your point, I mean, if the Jets went, I'm not saying they would. I mean, but whether they go seven and three or three and seven in the next ten games, do you think that changes their mentality versus all in versus standing pat? Or I, I don't. I think the I, Jets I, have I to be all in. They have I, to be all in. I think it. Cha- I think it changes the mentality of players who would be. Oh, Because sure. I think this year is there's there's a lot of big fish out there. But I also think that there's a lot of teams like I. I was interested for you on this, uh, for your take on this, Kim. Like I think that there's potential for Colorado to grab someone big at the trade deadline. I think Carolina uh, has that potential. Boston has that potential. Uh, I would say. Uh, I don't know. I, I could I could see I, maybe not L.A. as much or someone like that. Toronto, if they could make something work, I could see them trying to trying to have something. And we always know we always know that uh, Tampa Bay is going to do something right. Like they never stand pat. So all of these teams I'm naming, th- this is the way I see it. When you're a fan and I know I, I deal with this all the time. A lot of the people in our chat room are Winnipeg Jets fans. So Winnipeg Jets fans take a look at the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation, for example, and say, well, why would he not want to stay here? He's playing with really good players. We've got the potential to win the cup. And then you see teams or players leave those situations all the time for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's a living situation. Sometimes it's money. But a lot of times you have to think from the mindset of a player that they're thinking, you know what, like, Anyone out there who thinks Pierre-Luc Dubois came for two seasons ago and had a struggle uh, two seasons ago and then last season put up 60 points, his career best is 61, and now is playing well alongside Kyle Connor. For anyone out there who thinks Pierre-Luc Dubois is saying, the only reason I'm succeeding is because I'm playing with Kyle Connor, then you don't understand the mindset of an athlete. Athletes are going to think, I can go somewhere else and I can be a driver there as well. So fans are thinking that this is the only situation that will work for people. So a lot of fans right now are thinking, well, all these big people are going to want to come to Winnipeg because they because this is where they can win a cup. But you don't think players out there are thinking, well, if I went to Tampa, I think I could win a cup. If I went to Boston, I think I could win a cup. If I went to Toronto or Carolina or Colorado or even a team like Seattle, I could win a cup. Like we're getting in the neighborhood of 10 teams 
10. Dallas is another team that is probably going to be active at the trade deadline. You're getting in the neighborhood of 10 out of 16 teams in the playoffs that a player could look at and think, you know what? I think I could be the, the game changer there. I know all you fans here right now are watching and looking at the Jets and saying, no, 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 no. The Jets are special. The Jets are better than everybody else. And everyone else is looking at them the same way we are. They're dominant. They're the best. That's it. That hasn't played out in the past. We've always seen big fish. Uh, there's a lot of competition for it. So th- th- this is a long way of me getting back around to the point of saying, I think this next little while is crucial for the Winnipeg Jets. We're coming to the month of February. I think the Jets have to have an extremely solid month of February because I do agree that the sales pitch for the Jets has to be, we've got something going on here. We've got something special. You've got great players that you can play along lines with, but we, we think we're going to do something here. And if you take a look around, I need you to take a look and really see what we've got here and see that if you went to Carolina, you wouldn't have as good of a chance as you had here. That's what they need to be able to do. And to Ken's point and to Jeff's point before that, going and having, you know, continuing what we've seen from them for through this last little while. And keep in mind, even before this last five-game stretch where the Jets went two and three, the previous five games before that, Rick Bonus wasn't a fan of those five games. So we are now one quarter, one-fifth, 20% of the schedule so far that the Jets are into the last 20% of the schedule, Rick Bonus is not liking what he's seeing. So I guess the point I'm saying is there should be a sense of urgency with the Winnipeg Jets to turn things around and conduct themselves like world beaters and game changers, like what we're seeing from the Colorado Avalanche on the rise right now. Because if you want to sell the biggest pieces out there that I think, that I think Hammy thinks, and I think Ken thinks the Jets need to add in order to be a special team capable of winning the Cup. You have to show them that in the in the coming month coming up here. Um, last thing we should ha- handle here, uh, Ken, I'll let you start with this, but uh, people are getting into Nick Kiprios. I, I, I'm surprised it took this long for people for this to work its way into the conversation. This happened like six days ago. I think Michael Remus was tweeting this out, and that probably uh, got it out there. But Rob Mahoney says, I believe Kiprios regarding PLD's future intentions, Sean and Ken and Jeff. Should we believe Kipper? Uh, some other people here were taking uh, shots at um, – uh, at Nick Kiprios here. Ken, do you want to take uh, what uh, Nick Kiprios has said and put uh, your perspective on it? Well, I mean, Nick and I have talked also. I mean, Nick is very plugged in. I mean, am I am I as certain as Nick is? No. I mean, no one's told me that, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't be questioning the reporting. Uh, I know, you know, he talks to people that are in the know. So, um, you know, I'm not certain that Pierre-Luc Dubois is leaving for sure, but Nick feels that strongly he wouldn't just be saying that for the sake of saying it so uh, I think Pierre's Pierre Luke has kind of made it clear that you know he's a day-to-day guy and uh, I would say that there would be still a, you know an opportunity for maybe he changes his mind in the next couple of months but I mean it's also entirely possible and Jeff's talked about this uh, with us and we've talked about it also I mean for some players Becoming a UFA for the first time is all that really matters. It wouldn't matter if they were in a perfect situation. Uh, they want to get to be unrestricted free agents and have the opportunity to choose where they play. I mean, we're basically, you know, just over two and a half years removed. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois was on the verge of signing an eight-for-eight eight extension in Columbus before things fell off the rails. He has never felt comfortable talking about why things went sideways. Um and we don't expect him to. He's he is you know 
continually said he doesn't want to talk about it. That's he's got nothing to gain from saying his reasoning. And you know, since he's been with the Jets, he's sort of made it clear that he's just not sure what he wants. And the next time he signs a deal, he wants it to be potentially his last contract. So, um, you know, I'm not as certain as as Nick Kiprios is, but I know Nick is also talking to folks that maybe are a lot more definitive on the on the matter. Hammy? Well, how can you, I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, I believe that he heard that or someone told him that. Like, I'm not questioning Nick Kiprios's, uh, you know, sources and talking to hockey people. And to be quite frank, I mean, in the summer, I could have told you there's no damn way he's coming back. I mean, what would be the reason for Pierre-Luc Dubois to sign a long-term contract in Winnipeg? I mean, things have changed this season. He's yep. he's blossomed under Rick Bonus. You know, we heard Rick Bonus saying say in Toronto when I asked about him that, you know, if I felt his, his responsibility to, um, you know, to convince, or this was in Montreal, to convince, yep. you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois to come back. And he said, that's the first thing he said to him on the phone. You know, he's going to make him that player. He's got a, he made a commitment to him to, for, you know, together they made a commitment for him to become a two-way player, you know, a big bruising guy. I mean, he is a, he is a, um, he is a full you know, full 200 foot player. He's getting there. He's getting closer to that. I mean, this is a guy who's going to have a lot of opportunity. He's going to be sought after. It would be bananas for him to take a, you know, you know, a discount with the Jets. So if the Jets, I mean, if the Jets believe he's the player of the future or whatever, then they're going to have to show him the money before he hits free agency. I mean, that's just the reality. They can't do, they can't lowball him to, I don't think, I think it's going to be a tough sell to, to him to be like, we want to bring everybody back. So, you know, we, you know, we, this is the money we want to give you. And by doing that, I just don't think that's going to work with him, especially with the trajectory we've seen from him this season. But I think, you know, even though there's that statement there, there's lots of time for him to change his mind. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think he, you know, if he continues to play the way he's playing, and you know, we've talked about this before. If you, you know, if he can sign on for X amount of years with Kyle Connor as his winger, uh, you know, why not, right? And and I think it's going to go a long way to see what happens here in this playoff run. That if he can, if he can, you know, be comfortable here and dominant here, why not give that opportunity? You know, I, I look, we know his connection to Montreal. We know his his interests. He's in, you know, he's got, he's into fashion. He's in all that other stuff. And, you know, when you're into those kind of things, there's certainly better destinations to play in the NHL, but guess what? You're a multi-millionaire. You can do whatever you want all the time. And during the season, all you're really doing is traveling and practicing and playing. So, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not thinking that that comment is, you know, untrue per se, but I have a hard time thinking Pierre-Luc Dubois called up Nick and, and said, Hey man, there's no way in hell I'm coming to Winnipeg, you know, or returning to Winnipeg. And I think there's plenty of time here. And, and whether that's, you know, Pierre Dubois, whether that's Connor Hellebuck, whether that's Mark Shifley, there's going to be a lot of conversations that are being had from now to this summer to next year. Um, and I think they're going to put out the full court press to bring a guy like Pierre Dubois. And I think you want a guy like Pierre Dubois. You want to you want to show him the money. And and as a 24 year old two way centerman, you're going to have to show him the money. So. I think there's plenty. I mean, I certainly think there's some truth to that statement, but I also believe just as truthfully that there's time here to convince him to stay in Winnipeg if he continues the way to play the way he's playing. Yeah, and I don't think money's going to be an issue. I mean, I, I think if if the Jets get to the point where they can convince him to stick around, I I, I don't. I've said this before. I, I don't think they're going to have any trouble making him the highest paid player in franchise history. But I mean that, well, no, that'll have to happen. I, I that's what's good. That's to me is what it's going to take for him to want to stick around. Um, Sorry, BA uh, suits aren't really fashion. 
it's kind of like shirts <sighs> and holy jeans and stuff like that don't trust me i don't, I don't get it either but that's <laughs> kind of he's into it um a couple things i want to touch on a the, the problem with the idea of the jets paying him a whole bunch of money to stay is Pierre Dubois is going to get paid no matter where he goes. Um, so I, I don't think, other than that eighth year, as you've pointed out, Ken, that they're able to offer him that no other team would be able to. Um, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that Pierre Dubois sees the money put in front of him and says, "Okay, well, I got to take that," because I think he thinks he's going to get it regardless anywhere. B. Everyone who's here taking shots uh, at Nick Kiprios and saying. Uh, uh, like Kipper looking, Turd Ferguson says Kipper looking to get sound bites out there. He may have heard something, but nothing is set in stone until it is. Okay, no, I agree with this. Nothing is set in stone until it is. But the whole sound bites thing here, people aren't giving um, Nick Kiprios enough credit. Nick Kiprios is a guy who, when we had him on our trade deadline shows, broke a lot of stuff. Nick Kiprios is a connected guy, and I happen to know enough about the guy to know that he's not just going to go out and say something to say it. Like, he said something because he's heard something, okay? You can take that to the bank right now. If Nick Kiprios said it in the manner that he said it, he's heard something, okay? Someone has told him something. Now, I want to be clear about this because I had him. I was on his show. He had me on his show, and I challenged him on this a little bit on the idea that there's you know to 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 jeff's point and a little bit to ken's point and even to turd ferguson's point here where he says uh he may have heard something but nothing is said in stone until it is i got him to admit this i got him to admit the idea that like that's what i'm hearing now um but like who's to say who's to say something can't happen in between now and then there's a year and a half that they may have him here who knows what they do in the playoffs who knows how he feels uh, who knows if he doesn't try a restaurant and figures he can't move on or anything like that. I'm not saying, and no one is saying that this is set in stone, but I will say this for Nick Kiprios to come out and say it again, to reiterate for Nick Kiprios to say as, as strongly as he did that this is that he doesn't see this happening. He's heard something and you should at least take it as that you should take it that, all you people right now who think Pierre-Luc Dubois has played up to this point in the season and now is like, wow, everything's different here. I'm scoring more points than I thought I would if I'm locking down in Winnipeg. All the people who've been selling that narrative or hoping for that to happen should realize that what Nick Kiprios is saying will be based on something that he was told by a credible source recently. So what should be taken from that is at this moment – Everyone who's hoping that the Jets and their new coach and the position that they're in and the success that he's having has won him over and he's turned over a new leaf, I would suggest that you should keep the club every time. Like as of this point, if you think that a change is going to happen, I wouldn't assume the change has happened and Pierre Dubois is sticking around. I would say start the clock right now and hope that he comes around to a different way of thinking. If you want him to be here, I would just say it like that. All these people out here who are talking about Nick Kiprios's track record and all that kind of stuff, you don't have a leg to stand on, Nick. Yeah, Kiprios but to Leonard's point here too, like it's just it's just a statement. Like you think he he had sources coming to him and telling him that Pierre Luc Dubois is leaving. Like he's under contract for another year after this year. So like like to say you know as a restricted free agent, like I, I just I get that. I do think it is. I do think it is just a, it is a soundbite in a lot of ways. And you know and and to suggest automatically that it was recently. I don't, you know, like, I think that's an interesting one, no you know, toss. 
this is no, you know, like to, like to me, like I think there were a lot of guys in that locker room after last season that wanted to leave, and you know, like I just don't think it's all that surprising. Well, and look, Jeff. Uh, so of the guys who wanted to leave, they explored moving a lot of those guys, and they didn't leave for specific reasons. It's a different situation. Like they try, they explored moving Blake Wheeler because they were talking about moving him. He didn't leave because he didn't want to leave, and because all the smoke and there was no fire. He didn't leave because they couldn't strike a deal that would make it work. That's doesn't apply in this situation with Pierre-Luc Dubois. This is another one of those things where it's like, uh, I, I, I'll stand up uh, for Nick Kiprios in this situation and say it's not a soundbite. The same as we had to talk last year about what was going on in the Jets room. And there was a lot of people out there who accused us of saying that there was, a, there was nothing going on in the Jets room and everyone was fine and everyone liked each other and they had no problems. We're just reporting what we see. So I don't, like, that's no more a soundbite than you having reported on anything that happened with the Winnipeg Jets last year and ca- calling it a soundbite on your part. That's his sourced information that he's getting that he's sharing. So if people want to call him a, uh, call it a soundbite, to me that's wishful thinking to say it's a soundbite. Nick Kiprios did not wake up one morning and say, I'm going to go mess around with the people in Winnipeg. Nick Kiprios went out and talked to a lot of people who have put him in a position where he's broken a lot of stuff on trade deadline shows before and beat a lot of people to a lot of stories and came out and said it. I highly doubt that he's going to put his reputation and his work on the line to come mess with the people in Winnipeg who barely noticed him saying this until a couple, until Remo pointed it out to everybody on Winnipeg sports talk. This is, there's no, he doesn't gain anything by coming and messing or getting headlines in Winnipeg. If he wants to mess around, go do it in New York or do it in Toronto or something like that. I, I take I take offense to the idea that he's coming out and saying this just to stir up bullshit. He's saying this because he sources that have that have paid off for him in the past are talking to him, and that's what they said. I'm saying clearly that he walked it back with me to a degree and said, look, things can change. I'm not saying that there's not a possibility for this to come forward, but what he's saying right now is he's being told in no uncertain terms that he doesn't expect this to happen. That's not a soundbite. That's him doing his reporting and soundbite, calling it a soundbite is belittling what we all do, not just him. Okay, but okay, so what was the exact what, what was the exact statement? That he's for sure not coming to Winnipeg? Was that it? Or there's no chance that Pierre-Luc Dubois signs I would have to go back. I, I, I think what it was, was I, he walks it back. What I took away from it, no, I, I don't think it was like he will never possibly be here or whatever. I think what he said on it, I think it was a very definitive s- statement that at this stage, anyone and why walk it back? Thinking, and why walk it back if it's a very definitive statement? I shouldn't have said I pressed him on it. I pressed him on the details of what he was talking about. And he was saying, I'm not saying that there couldn't be change, but as of right now, the direction for him is that he's leaving. Like in his mind right now, he thinks that he's leaving. If you don't believe that at this point, like I think that's bang on. I mean, absolutely. At this point, he's for sure leaving. I think he needs to be convinced to stay. There there you you go. I don't think that's I don't think that's big news. I think that's Well, it is big news. This is why it's big news. It's big news because everyone in our chat room and everyone around town and and his coach coming up and saying we're going to do what we can to stay is saying Pierre-Luc Dubois has had this 
awakening this year, and that's what's going to keep him in Winnipeg. Well, he's halfway through the season of that awakening, and he's not at a stage where he's turning around. So if you are saying that you believe at this stage he thinks that he's leaving, what it means is being on pace to get 90 points and playing alongside Kyle Connor and having the magic that is created in there has not yet changed his mind. So then I guess the conversation becomes what has to happen going forward to change his mind. If what's happening with him right now with a new coach that gets him and gets this team and a team that he clicks with and a team that's having success, what has to happen next to get him to turn in a different direction? That would be the question. Here we go. Leonard S. says he is not that. This is what the quote was. He's not staying in Winnipeg long term, said Kiprios. There is nothing that can change his mind from what I'm hearing. So there you go. That's his quote. Yeah. And I okay. think that's, yeah, I think that's certainly the case. I mean, we've talked about this in the past about I think it's a lose lose situation for the Winnipeg Jets after last season with him. Because if he has another miserable year, there's going to be no interest in coming back to Winnipeg. And if he has an absolutely incredible year, his price tag just goes up. So it's, it's to me, it's like, you know, he, he will be sought after. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I just, I, I get the point, but I also think it's one of those things where, you know, it's quite obvious that you can, you know, that's not a definitive statement in the sense of anything can happen. Anything can change. The odds of yeah, no doubt. him no doubt. Dubois long-term, I think are, are, are less, you know, less than good. Um, but that being yeah. said, we'll see what happens the rest of the year. I mean, the Jets make a big run. He has a dominant playoffs. They pay him like the player that he is. And heck, maybe he even becomes part of the leadership group. So I think that will be the biggest thing. I've, I've said this before. I think getting him on the leadership group, you know, it's interesting. He doesn't wear a letter now. So I don't think he leapsfrogs the, the guys necessarily with the letter. But what would, you know, what would the C do for him like what if you what if you're negotiating with him and he wants to be the captain of a team somewhere i don't think he's going somewhere else and being the captain um his best bet for that is here and but i don't know what i don't know if, if that's something that he you know covets or, or not but i again i think there's lots of time to change his mind even though it doesn't seem like a great situation kenny hop in on this waiters wants to hear your two cents i don't know i've given bringing that smile on kenny. this on this topic already i mean uh i would say that uh you know not a lot of people thought that Patrick Alina was interested in staying in Columbus after last year either. So he's only signed a four-year deal. I don't think that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to sign a four-year deal. Um, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is you know, the only one who knows for certain. And I think T. Will maybe said it earlier. The reason you know is because he hasn't signed yet. I, I disagree totally. I don't think that Pierre-Luc Dubois was ever going to sign an extension in season. This is a guy who I, I wrote about this going into the year. It's just like Jacob Truba, not the situation, but the ability to compartmentalize is something. All these people on social media at the start of the year, after the whole rigor, you know, all the stuff with Montreal, the flirtation, whatever else. Oh, he's already got one foot out the door. He's not going to have a good year. Well, that's obviously not true. I mean, he's having the best year possible for him. All he's doing is focusing on playing hockey. And I think that at some point this summer he's going to have a he's going to sit down with his agent. He's going to sit down with his family, and he's going to decide what he wants his future to look like. And if that future does not include the Winnipeg Jets, then I think that the Jets will have no choice but to move him. But I don't think they want to do that. They they obviously want him part of the organization moving forward. But they've been down this road before. If the player doesn't want to be there. 
Uh, and again, it's also entirely possible that, you know, Sean's mentioned this as a possibility. If the Jets lose in the Stanley Cup final in the sixth game and the management team and the ownership gets together and says, you know what? Asset managers are not going to like it, but let's take one more chance with the band that's here and, you know, they'll take their chances after. I don't think that will happen, but yeah. I'm not going to dismiss it. I mean, the Jets have tried to turn over rosters before without... I fully think it'll happen. Well, I mean, that's... It, again, it put, that's what that's the beauty of much, this. They've put too much work into this window not to take this window till the moment it smashes closed with the glass shattering. Yeah, and like um, I said, that's why I'm not dismissing it. I just I think that that would be a really hard conversation to have. But at the same time, for an organization that is still trying to fill the building with a, on a consistent basis, taking their best shot at it for two years maybe is something that they have to do. So, but the bigger issue here that we didn't see last time, uh, the thing with moving Jacob Truba a year out before he became a UFA is that Jacob Truba provided years of service. I mean, the issue for the Jets now is that they traded two first-round draft picks, including the second overall pick and one of the most popular players in franchise history for what would essentially be four years of Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, everyone says, you know, you're getting nothing for him. That's not true. You get the four years that you had, but yeah. is that enough to get for what they had to give up to get him. That that ultimately will be the discussion between Mark Chipman and Kevin Cheveldayoff and the management team. And only they know the answer to that question. You and I don't know it. And, you know, but that's part of the beauty of it. I mean, it's our job to try to predict and look into the crystal ball and, and see what it says. But uh, I think this next, you know, five months, let's say, or six, however long it lasts, is is the five to seven months leading into that. I agree with Jeff entirely and you, Sean. This is clearly the most important trade deadline Kevin Dayoff has had to navigate in 12 seasons. And that will, quick, no matter what happens at that deadline, it will be equally or more important in this summer to determine the direction of the franchise, you know? And, and you know, is it... That this is the beauty. This is why I said it earlier about, you know, I think the Jets have to go all in regardless. And I'm not saying all in, trade all your draft picks, trade all your prospects. But they have to make the best chance to upgrade their roster this deadline. And then they're going to have to try to take another run at it next year. Because if they don't, they're going to have regrets. And here's the, here's the tough part about that whole conversation. They might make three perfect moves and they could still get bounced in the first round and not get any of the four round revenue. And they have given up future assets. And that is part of the, you know, Brian Burke says it all the time. Only one team gets to have a parade and mm. you're going to have to probably overpay in the quote unquote to win a bidding war for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly or for a guy like Bo Horvat. And that's part of the cost of doing business, just like part of the cost of doing business was trading Patrick Line to get Pierre-Luc Dubois, whether that's for three seasons or four or whatever it ends up being. Uh, I'll, I'll just make one. The deadline? Oh, sorry, Sean. No, go. go. You want to ask, like, what, what, what happens? Like, like pickup wise? Yeah, like, if you think everything in, you know, and I'm not saying what you think, you you know, with this team, that's like, what do you think plays out at the deadline? Like, for given the Jets? everything. Yeah, for the Jets. Well, like we, I was looking today, they've got $7 million in cap space. Oh, it's up to nine the, now projected yeah. with the move to send Hanela down and the number I think can go up further once uh, 
Oh, no, um, depending on, like, they're still carrying extra bodies. You're still carrying Gustafson and Appleton on the active roster. Right. Sorry, so, not active roster, but they're not on LTI. So those salaries oh. still count. So they could be so, above $10 million projected cap space at the deadline, depending on injuries. Yeah, they can do whatever they want when it comes down to it, for the most part. Like, money will not be an issue, which may set them apart for the teams that I talked about, you know, that list of, you know, eight to ten teams and having the potential to do something. Uh, They clearly, you know, and maybe that could be the selling point, is if they get really active and go get a big name, and maybe that means another big name comes here. I I still think they land one of the big fish, uh, um, you know, like uh, either Horvat or... Meyer. Or, uh, yeah, Meyer would be, I mean, Meyer would be actually probably top of my list if you were going for that because you'd have him going forward, which could help alleviate some of these issues. Or Jonathan Taze. And then I think they I think they have to take a big swing and add uh, a top four defenseman and and add at least, uh, you know, some a, a veteran defenseman. I've said this before, like a Jordy Ben type. I know they had him before, um, you know, like Shen out of, role, uh, yeah. out of Vancouver or something like that. I think, you know, I it's someone like that. Dmitry Kulikov. I could see it. No, I would say more likely to be so. like Gavrikov. Oh. Gavrikov is a guy who's been on the Jets' radar. I would think that he is, I mean, he's not maybe as physical as Shen, but I think he would be a guy that's played some top four minutes. Yeah, and and at least in that case, yeah, having someone so that they've got some depth so if something goes down. Because, I mean, look, look, we are constantly talking about this kind of carousel that keeps traveling between Logan Stanley and Dylan Sandberg and Billy Hainla. And, and these, the one thing that has happened is none of these three players have definitively made themselves the sixth defenseman on this team. I don't think that that's a recipe for success going into the playoffs. I mean, we've seen a lot of teams, you know, roll guys in and out of the lineup to great success before, but there's no time for rookie or, you know, young player mistakes in the playoffs. You can't be giving away goals on a night because a guy like, listen, I was watching that series last year and the Penguins had the, the New York Rangers done and one of their defensemen pulled an absolutely boneheaded move they tied the game and rangers went on to win that series because of that like you cannot have that happen in the playoffs because you know one of your players is not at the top of his game so that's what i see uh them going for ken did you have any one elaborate or jeff did you want to share what you think they're going to do yeah i i think that you know i think they're targeting everything that you suggest i think they're focusing it on primarily on a d-man um I'd be interested to see who that was. I, I mean, I, I see some, you know, some comments here about Kulikov, but he's a sturdy, stay-at-home defenseman, um, experienced. Uh, I'm not saying that that would be my primary target, but I could see a Joel Edmondson as well being, you know, if the price tag can come down. I think they they covet that veteran presence on the blue line. Um, I could see them even going for a guy like Shane Gossespierre. Um, but I'm putting those names out there not because they're at the top. Of the free agent list, I'm saying where the Jets can fit them in, add more players, um, and you know get a guy who might want to choose Winnipeg over, say, a Boston or a Colorado or a Dallas or whatever those other destinations. Um, I think they need, you know, I think Jonathan Taves is a possibility for faceoffs. We know how much Rick Bonus um, has talked about faceoffs this year. Um, you know, Jonathan Taves is, it would be an interesting one. I know, you know, obviously given his history with Kevin Sheveldayoff in Chicago and through those years, um, but obviously a Winnipegger as well. Um, I'm, I, I'm under the understanding that he's interested in coming to Winnipeg. Um, so that would be an interesting, you know, that would be an interesting one for sure. 
Um, but I do think you need to, you know, you need to swing to the fences. You need to bring in, you know, you need to go for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly or a, you know, a Barbashev to a certain degree, or, a, you know, I mean, I think you need to, you need to be focused on those big guys, but I think you need to understand that if they move on, um, to other teams, you have to have your backup plan. We've seen this in the past. We've seen the Jets take swings at, at, uh, you know, at the, or here the Jets take swings at the trade deadline and they end up with a guy like Cody Eakin. You know right. what I mean? Because he's he's kind of what's left over. Um, but I do think there is options there. It will be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see who comes. I, you know, it, it's the the bottom line is it can't be a quiet week or a day for the Jets. No, nope. you know it, it can't. I mean, this is you know we've talked about this in the past. You know, off seasons that were important and every you know and um, you know how Kevin Shovelup needs to get to work. This is by far the biggest one because there's a lot at stake. You need you need to have you know you. We're talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois. We're talking about, you know, Connor Hellebach. We're talking about guys whose contracts are up in a couple of years. They want to know that this team wants to win now. And um, making those moves at deadline, regardless of the the obstacles that appear to be in your way, you need to clear them. You need to bring in guys that are better than ones you have. And the thing is, Jets have not only just the cap money, they have players. You know, they have players they can, you know, can give up. Like Mason Appleton would be a piece. You know what I mean? Maybe you want to bring him back, but... You know, they've been playing pretty well without him. Um, got a lot of young defensemen, um, you know, so I think there's a lot of opportunity here. It's just we'll see what happens when, uh, you know, when, when the things play out. Well, one thing I wanted to say when you are talking about uh, the Jets taking swings and ending up with um, with Cody Eakin, I, w- I would argue that those days uh, of the Jets being kind of like just a fringe playoff team, uh, ending up with Eakin is more a result of Chevy balking at the prices that were out there and shopping in the bargain bin than it was, you know, a player deciding not to come here in that situation. I, to your point about the Jets having players that they can move, having the money that they can use at this in this situation, I think the Jets have all the resources they need to compete with anyone to give the best price on the market. So it's th- this is a situation where uh, if Chevy believes in his team, he's got the money to play, pay the price. And I've said this before: if you are trying to compete this year, the price is the price. That's what it is you know what i mean if you want to get into a house and you like the house and you want to make sure that your house has like a working bathroom and and you know the sinks all do whatever they're supposed to do and the the fridge works and all that kind of stuff then there's a certain price that you're going to have to pay to get that if you want a certain type of player at this trade deadline there's going to be a price and the jets have the assets and the money to pay that price um, in years past, I'm, I, I think they had those, but they just didn't think paying the price was worth it. And that probably suggested they didn't have as much belief in their team as they would have in this year. I think the Jets have the belief. They've got the assets. They've got the money. There's no reason for them to swing for the fence and outbid anyone in the process. Just I can tell you right now, you fans, if they do do that, aren't going to like the cost of what goes out the window. But that's the cost of trying to take the big swing and trying to win the Stanley Cup. You don't do it typically by being a bargain team. Uh, guys, we have anything uh, to say before we move out? Uh, Nothing. No, I mean, we said it in person, but uh, Doug Henderson, awesome K&R golf balls. Uh, and also oh, a yeah. uh, shout out to Marshall Patterson, who spent, uh, sent a special gift with uh, Elena for me. Uh, greatly appreciated. 
Good. Yeah, sure. Uh, you, you can share that with me whenever you get the opportunity to do that. Ken, uh, before we do shut things down here, I want to say qu- quite a comeback, quite a bounce back. The home field dig deeper award is supposed to be handed out to people who dig deeper in this show. And sometimes it's tough to dig deeper when you may have got knocked down. I'll say this. Rennie took a run uh, earlier on in this show at 10 a city for one of his comments and 10 a city bounced back and said, Kane leaves others came Line leaves, others came. Dubois leaves, others will come. Worry about today, just win this year, and he can do whatever he wants. Buff leaving, well, that was a tough one. This is great, great advice. I will say this, uh, and this is more along the point, the Jets always seem to be able to find a way to find people, even in the Kevin Stenlins and the Saku Menelainens in their drafts. A uh, few teams draft as well as they do. Uh, if you're going to go for it, you got to go for it. If you're going to keep Pierre-Luc Dubois as your own rental so that you've got a team held together for this next year and you lose it, uh, the Winnipeg Jets may be lost in the woods to a degree for a couple of years after that, but they'll still have a lot of really great assets and the same team that was able to build this uh, star-studded roster. So 10A City, you are the home field dig deeper award winner of this show. All you got to do is direct message me. There you go. Tenacity. I love it. I love it. 10A City went from being in my doghouse to the penthouse in a very short amount of time here. Great job. Uh, hey, he's saying the name is Tenacity. Saying the name is Tenacity. Come on, oh, Reynolds. Come on, man. Wake up, man. Let's go. Let's go. Wake up, man. Wake up. You're getting fired up. Let me talk for God's sakes. I thought he was saying Tenacity and that he had Tenacity to stick with it, which he did. It's too late for me to put the headband on. But hey, Tenacity. You showed great tenacity. The name is fitting. Direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Uh, give me your full name, not being tenacity, uh, and send me your email, and I will send you a voucher for your dig, your home field dig deeper shovel. Congratulations, you did great, as did Ken tonight. Even though he tried to shut me down at the end of the show, which is totally rude and unacceptable. Same with you, Jeff Hamilton. Get it together, you guys. Yeah, you got great music. Doesn't give you the right to do whatever you want. The chat room, they can chat, show me down any day uh, because they do it every time and I love it. Good stuff. Let's shut this thing down the same way we always do. If you appreciate these conversations that we're having in this space and the conversations on shows like ours, Illegal Curve and Winnipeg Sports Talk, please. Please appreciate the contributions by our sponsors because they're fighting to keep these conversations going in this in these spaces. For us, that's Vittorio Rossi, TransCanada Brewing Company, the Johnston Group, uh, Lou Ferlin, and Homefield. Thank you so much, everybody. We will talk to you after the Thursday game when the Jets welcome the Buffalo Sabres. Bye, everybody.